Welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. And today I want to talk to you about a really important topic, and that is building genuine, deep connections. It looks like an entire culture, a lot of people are suffering from the consequences of not building as deep of connections as we once did. We see a lot of problems with the loneliness epidemic and people that feel like they just really don't fit in. My guest today, Nini Fritz, is the founder of the Work Happiness Project as well as the Digital Detox Connection Stronger Than Wi-Fi program, sharing one of my great passions about getting people off the internet and into real life, connecting with real people and connecting with the real world. Nini, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Lovely introduction. (laughs) I'm glad. I usually try to think through these introductions a little bit. (laughs) You did well. All right, well, let's start with talking about what you're observing and what we all are observing in the world around us today. We just went through the pandemic, but even before the pandemic, there were people increasingly moving their lives online and people becoming increasingly disconnected from one another in the world. Yeah, that's uh, correct. And well, I think we live in this time age of this loneliness paradox or pretty much a connection paradox. I think that uh, is actually like an even better description. It's statistically proven that we are like the most connected generation ever existed. When you look mm-hmm. at all like the online connections we have, but we're also proven to be the loneliest generation in history. Yeah, I think that's some very shocking fun fact that we all have to accept. This misconception of having thousands of LinkedIn followers, millions of YouTube subscribers, a few hundred Instagram followers, Facebook friends, whatever it is. But when it comes down to needing someone to call or like, you know, like a shoulder to lean on, we look at all these like connections we have. And then we realize the people we can actually go to if we're lucky, it's like a handful of quality connections. And I think this gap Mm -hmm. between like the perceived connections and the actual connections we have makes us feel much lonelier when you feel like, you know, like you, you share your meal on social media, post a picture of your pizza, but you don't have anyone to share your meal with. That makes us feel like this is this hyper, yeah, this pathetic connection pretty much. And that is, very dangerous actually for for human connection to think we have that but we actually don't have it and then it makes us feel much lonelier and much more disconnected now just to preserve my own innocence i just looked this up now my linkedin profile only has 960 connections so i'm not guilty of this thousands yeah. of connections yeah. thing quite yet so what do you think is creating these weaker connections? Because it seems like in the past, we'd have fewer total connections, but yeah. the connections we had were more likely to be you know, deeper. Yeah. Is it kind of this whole idea of, I just posted, look at my za, my pizza on social media, and that doesn't really create like a meaningful discussion that actually connects with people? Or is there something else behind it? Yeah, I think this sums it up pretty well. We have to differentiate between like weak ties and strong ties. So I always kind of describe them like a metal. You know, you can have like a lot of like loose, weak metals, but they don't bond very strongly. Like it's not like a safety net you build. Like if you fall, the weak ties are not going to catch you because the system just collapses. So if we want to invest like in strong ties, this is actually what keeps the safety net together. So when we fall when we you know we have a downtime this is the safety net that keeps us up but in this online world 
it is exactly what you say. So we go to a party and then people are going to be like, oh, let's stay connected. So mm -hmm. what you do is exchanging your Instagram or at a networking event, it's your LinkedIn. Yep. So the way of staying connected is not like, oh, I'm going to give you a call and we're going to meet up for a coffee and share a genuine conversation and get to know each other. Our way of staying connected is I scroll through my feed, you pop up on a post or on a story. So I'm up to date, uh, what kind of pizza you're having for lunch or where you go on a holiday. So you feel connected because you're kind of on track with what's going on in this person's life. And the person who posted it scrolls through like, oh, who liked my post mm -hmm. or who's seen my story. And then it brings them back into like your field of awareness and be like, oh, cool. This guy, I I don't know, I had a holiday fling with five years ago in Ibiza. Like <laughs> he <laughs> an apple for lunch. Cool. I'm feeling connected. But yeah, we just have to be clear that a thumb up on social media or like a, a double tab like, it's not the glue that bonds. That's not how you build a genuine connection. It supports an existing connection. And it's of course like an easier entrance to build up on like a real life conversation when you know what that person has been up to lately or when you know their hobbies, their interests, when you comment, like, let's say on a quote they shared recently and it's like, oh, that really resonated with me. So it's not black and white. So it's not that you say like, oh, yeah. all social media is bad. We just have to see it as a tool to help us increase the connection or like deepen the connection, but not as a substitute to actually build the connection. I do wonder, though, about 20 years ago, when people were first getting onto MySpace, eventually it yeah. would be the Facebook and Facebook. Yeah. Is there anyone that could have seen this coming as a result of this new phenomenon we can call Web 2.0 online interaction yeah. as opposed to yeah. Web 1.0 is just reading stuff online. Web 3.0 is going to be different. I don't even want to begin to speculate that. But is there any way people could have seen this coming? Or is this one of those surprising side effects that we just no one would have been able to know that social media would have eventually led to this? Good question. Uh, well, I would say my answer is not based on any like research articles, <laughs> Yeah, but I think like the people who created the internet were probably like visionaries who really like had in mind to like, you know, the world wide web, which if you look at it this way, is like a big spider web of like connecting people. So I do think their intention was probably like to connect people across the oceans with the click on a keynote and it says, turn on your computer and, you know, send a message to someone at the other end of the world. So I think if you're crazy enough to build the internet, you should be crazy enough to come up with this vision. But I'm pretty sure they did not have in mind that it should be used as a substitute for human connection. And also when it comes to you know, early connection platforms such as MySpace or Facebook, if we think about the origin of where it stems from, it was like a uni network. So it was meant for like Facebook, kind of like everyone at university, like shows their faith in a book. So mm -hmm. you know that who they are, what they do and kind of get a name to the faces you see around. So it wasn't meant to be like a, a connection tool with like people you haven't met yet. It's kind of a digital friends album to stay in touch with the people in your closest surrounding. Yeah. And then I think it's like the natural trend of any hype. You know, you see the good at it and you build up, build up, build up. 
until like it peaks and you realize like, oh, it actually has like downsides as well. And I think now we're in this smooth transition phase that we kind of crave a little like going back to the roots and so like technology and online connections. I think they have reached their peak now. Maybe there's still like a little bit to go, but I think now we're already on our way to, yeah, seeking more meaningful connections. If you look at like big startups or big tech companies in the Silicon Valley, they're even doing like digital detox retreats. Oh, wow. (laughs) Which is kind of like a summer camp for adults in terms of, you know, getting off your screen, getting off technology, sit around the bonfire, roast some marshmallows to actually bring back the human connections. And they're the ones who created all the stuff that makes us addicted to, to technology. And I think that in itself, has a lot and means a lot. <laughs> I mean, I love that even they are doing it. Yeah. So where we stand, end of March, 2023, by the time this episode, I'll be out, it'll be April, 2023. Do you think most people have come to the understanding about this value of number of connections versus the quality of the connection, the depth of the connection? Or do you think most people haven't quite gotten there yet, even though most people, I think by now realize that there is a problem with loneliness in general? Unfortunately, I have to answer this question with a no. I don't think that people acknowledge that. Like the fact that we're having this podcast now means that we are very much aware, very much in this world. Um, But shockingly, I realized like when I host my workshops and give talks that for some people, it's like the first time they're hearing it. And they've probably been wondering, it's like, oh, why do I feel so lonely and like disconnected by having all these online connections? And then I say it out loud and suddenly something clicks inside of them. We're like, oh, they're actually not my real friends. And that's why I feel lonely. I do have to say, I think COVID and like isolation and lockdown, the side effects of COVID, not COVID itself, but that was like actually like a a big wake up call to check in with your quality connections. You know, it's like who are the people you're going to meet for a walk when you can only see one person who is like someone who's checking on you, on your mental health, how you're doing. Of course we can stay in touch online, but I think that kind of, yeah, gave you like a clearer segregation of like, what are my quality connections and what are just like, let's say quantity connections or weak ties, even in the offline world, but people that I just uh, meet at the bar to watch the soccer match or like people I see at the gym that like you come together based on interest, but who are the ones to actually proactively reach out to, to spend quality time. Yeah. I think this trend or this phase plus the shift to remote work because before like yeah. same thing, like we, we worked in offices, so it's a no brainer that you have this water cooler or <laughs> coffee kitchen yeah. conversation. But when everything was going online, you only met up for Zoom meetings. All you talk about is work and you're missing like this human component. And that must have required like a strong human bond before to proactively like check in with a colleague if you don't just, you know, coincidentally meet them in the coffee kitchen. As the remote work went on and companies actually jumped on the train of creating more human connections and investing in like team culture that kind of picked up again. But in the beginning, it was all about implementing the system. So the company is running online, but the human component was neglected. The side effects of COVID were like a massive wake up call for checking in on on our quality connections in life. And you talk about this whole idea of who am I going to call? 
when I'm yeah. in a tough situation or even when yeah. I'm having one of my mental health struggles and yeah. you need someone to talk to, right? Who am I going to call? Yeah. Well, let's say someone's feeling really thin on that. Anyone out there listening feels like maybe they only have one or two people, maybe not even that. Actually, I think especially in the U.S., there's about 13 to 15% of people now report not having a single person they can call wow. when something like wow. that happens. So yeah. if someone wants to foster deeper connections in some kind of way, whether it be maintaining the connections you already have or deepening some of those more casual connections yeah. that you have to say, okay, maybe one or two of them will become these better friends. What do you think someone should think about doing differently in their day-to-day lives if they're just yeah. looking to develop more of those real meaningful connections? Awesome question. I love it. So I think first and foremost, be selective who you surround yourself with. I think this is a, a hack because this is both saying with a, the average of the five people we spend most time with. So we become that person. So if you surround yourself with nagging, complaining, toxic people, like you cannot help but being influenced by their vibe. So yeah, make sure you check in with yourself first, kind of calibrate your compass and be like, okay, what are my values? How do I see like my best self and check in who's bringing out the best version of myself. But I came up with a system that I call the human traffic light. (laughs) Okay. And it's basically dividing the people I know and I meet and would consider my circle of friends more or less into red yellow and green. So red are those people that are just like kind of energy vampires. You know, you you spend time with them, but they actually make you feel like a little bit depleted. They're either like complaining about others or complaining about themselves, or they're just very negative. And then either like it drains your energy or it takes a lot of energy to kind of defend yourself or defend others. So basically, if you look at it from a battery perspective, it depletes your energy. Then you have the yellows. They don't increase your energy levels, but they also don't deplete it. They're nice to like maybe share coffee with or, you know, a lunch. You wouldn't spend your prime time with them. Like you don't spend a Saturday night dinner with them. They're nice, a company, but they're also not leaving you with the spark. And mm-hmm. then you have those green people. They make you leave with more energy than you came with. Like they're they're inspiring, they're listening, they're holding space, they allow you to fully express yourself. And yeah, so make sure if you think about quality connections, that this list is full of greens and maybe yellows, but definitely no reds. And yeah, then spend quality time with them. Like don't just catch up to Netflix and chill. Like Occasionally that's cool. I have a movie night, but like invest in experiences and like learning something new together, um, trying out a new sports class, trying out a new restaurant, maybe a fancy like cuisine, like Gregorian food or whatever makes you curious and like share a, a memorable experience. So you actually like have something that bonds you. And mm-hmm. yeah, number three, put away your phone. I think the greatest gift we can give to someone is really our time and undivided attention. So when you want to spend time with them and invest into making deeper connections, be present, hold space, listen, ask questions. I think this is a quick roadmap and how to make more meaningful connections with people you actually want to invest in. Now, 
can someone that's eventually going to be a green light person in your life begin as a yellow light person in your life because you just don't know them well enough. And I think it's very rare for a person you just met for the first time to be an energizing person because you don't know who they are yet, but over time they can become that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think some people, especially introverts, they might take a little bit longer to like, you know, break through the wall. But once you're in their bubble, they can be some of the most amazing friends because then you know that they don't have also like an abundance of relationships. So they actually have more time to invest and nurture that relationship because they're not busy seeing a hundred other people. They can also turn into yeah. <laughs> pets when you see them. You you don't know. It's like they can either like open up and like once you crack, crack through the first layer, they just share their real feelings and actually they hate everything and everyone. But they can also be like secret superheroes and mm-hmm. like we should and like holding space and listen and inspire you. So yeah, I think uh, the yellow ones are definitely like more surprise acts. It can like yeah. swing out into both directions. Yeah. And can someone be green to one person and red to a different person, depending on how the vibe is? Absolutely. It's funny you say that today because I had this conversation, exactly that conversation yesterday and totally depends on, you know, how that person makes you feel. And at least for myself, I clearly know like who brings out the best version in me and who just doesn't. The people you notice that bring out the best version in you, they're more likely to be green. (laughs) Yeah. And is that also another way we need to be thinking about it? Because It's one thing to think about the person that makes you happy right now in the moment versus the people or the environment that makes you a better person over time and brings out the best in you. Yeah. Like, of course, like you also need to consider some people, they might be green, but in terms of, oh yeah, we're having like fun at a party because we can like dance together and, and be wild, but they're not necessarily the ones who you can count on when you have a problem or who are going to be there. So there's not like a one fits all solution. You can also have your traffic light for like, you know, different areas in your life. And then ideally the ones that have like multiple overlaps. So now I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about your story because you have an exciting life story that quite a bit different than the average, what I sometimes refer to as living by the scripts, the people who kind of just do what you're supposed to do. And sometimes well, that can lead to kind of this subtle, slow mediocrity. I'll mm-hmm. save my judge your sounding statements. But yeah, tell me a little bit about your story and what made you decide that you want to live a life that was full. I think deep down, I always had this inner voice that was telling me like, you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. Like I've noticed that when I was doing my master's, so that was kind of the, the last step before I was starting my working life. Mm-hmm. Notice that suddenly everyone around me who's who's done with the university kind of slowly but surely started to hating their life. <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. and they told me that, like, oh, like enjoy your uni days. Like it's just gonna go downhill after. Like as soon as you start working, it's like no more time, you live for the weekend you look back on those glory university student days where you're like free to hang out with your friends and go partying during the week and whatever, just made enough money on your side job to, you know, get through, but like no responsibilities whatsoever. And I was just questioning this. 
I don't want to buy this concept that you know university is kind of like the best time of your life and then for the next like I don't know 60 years it's just going downhill <laughs> like yeah you've, you've had time and I was like I don't think it has to be that way so I love to like question um the status quo is like the kind of the culture escapes like yeah everyone's kind of living by default and saying like that's the hierarchy that's how you do life like you do your bachelor's do your master's you get a job at like a good company everyone around me is kind of climbing the corporate ladder or pretty much the society escalator that's how I call it like do your bachelor's do your master's get a job at one of the big five I studied business back then so of course you have like people and like all of the big consultancy companies and yeah marry a high school sweetheart build a house have a family and you ticked off the kind of grocery shopping list of what it means to live a successful life now it's like great if that's what makes you happy but I don't believe that there's like one blueprint for seven or now like eight billion people in the world that there's just one way to happiness and like it doesn't seem like people are actually really happy with it. So I was yeah. like, oh, I have to like figure out what makes me happy and like live a life on my own terms. After I handed in my math thesis, uh, thesis I took a bucket list year. <laughs> so instead mm-hmm. of a gap year, I just wrote a bucket list of all the things I've always wanted to see and do. And I was like, I'm going to give myself one year to take off as many things as I possibly can. And then I thought, you know, I figure out what makes me smile, what brings me joy. And based on that, I get better at deciding as like, what job is for me? Like, what is it that I want to do instead of like diving headfirst into a decently paid job to just do what society tells you to do without actually knowing what I want. My bucket list year turned out to be like the best year of my life. I met the Dalai Lama. I hitchhiked Nicaragua in a toilet paper truck. I learned how to serve. Um, I danced behind a DJ in a big festival just because I told them, can you get me on stage? It's on my bucket list. They sent me a ticket, like stuff like that. Like pretty much anything that I put on this bucket list worked out because, you, you know, it's like a, it gets addictive and you just get better at like figuring things out and make it work and like tell people, people want to help, uh, people share it. And then call it divine timing, but I actually um, found this company in Australia who specialized in bucket list coaching, pretty much because I've seen my then boss on a TEDx talk and got so inspired that I reached out to him after. And then I kid you not, the end of my bucket list year, it was literally like the final day of my bucket list year, which was also my birthday. And that was the deadline for me to be like, okay, by now I should have found a job. And yeah, that morning I went for like a 6 a.m. sunrise serve. I got a message from this TED Talk guy. And he basically, without knowing it was my birthday or any of the woo-woo timing, he offered me the position as a remote head of marketing for the bucket list company. Um, so I pretty much swapped my bucket list year for whole bucket list life and started working with the company. And yeah, it was like two years with them. And eventually I realized like as much uh, as I enjoy the remote work life, 
I feel like my purpose is actually in inspiring people to live their life up to the fullest and make the most out of it. So I took the coaching license that I had with them and focused on team building for remote companies because that was also like a challenge that I figured out while working remotely that brilliant to work from anywhere, but um, sometimes you feel very lonely. So that year that you followed your bucket list, what did that teach you about your priorities? Did you think more about what you wanted to do as far as I want to be in bucket list coaching now? Or was it more about what lifestyle that you feel like you need to have in order to have a happy life? I absolutely did not think anything about doing that professionally when I kicked up my own bucket list year. It was more about like a very selfish, non-selfish way to figure out what I want to do in my life. And throughout the whole process of taking it off and like adding like bigger goals to it and like coming up with new ideas, it really turned into this like lifestyle philosophy to like go for what I want, not postponing anything, like taking action on the spot, become more accountable to my own goals and dreams and not just postponing everything to like, oh yeah, one day, but yeah, become like an action taker in my own life. And then based on that, you just realize how many opportunities open up when you dare to like leave your comfort zone, take on challenges. And I felt like it elevated my life in so many ways that I genuinely felt like it would be an offense to keep that secret to myself. Having this wisdom of how colorful and beautiful life can be and like not share with the world sounded unfair to me. So I was like, I want to use the wisdom that I gained for that and like the stories that I collected to inspire other people to do the exact same. I think, you know, we spent two thirds of our waking hours at work and statistics got it that pretty much 70% or something feel like disengaged at work. Um, We have that peak of mental health issues, burnout rates, all of that. So I thought, why not, you know, start with companies and make sure we create like happy individuals who create happy teams, who create happy profits. And yeah, I think this is like a very holistic approach to start from within and benefit um, the community. And so how does your program work? Now I do have more than the bucket list concept, but I founded the Work Happiness Project, Holistic Happiness at Work, I would say. My workshops are based on like three main pillars. Um, Mm -hmm. that we need to have in balance to really live like a truly fulfilled life. And the first one is live fuller. So in that subcategory, we have the bucket list workshop and a lot of other like workshops um, based on that. Second one is connect deeper, uh, where like the digital detox workshop falls into the iConnect game of like how to make more meaningful connections. And the third pillar is be happier one workshop that is based on like Buddhist principles, but then also another one called the power of fun of how to create like more conscious fun time in our lives. And yeah, overall, it's all about, you know, holistic well-being, happiness from within, fill your own cup first based on that principle to actually create happier, more productive, more focused and more creative employees. And this is exclusively working with remote teams or do you do some in-person people that have like returned to office and stuff? Um, Yeah, it's not necessarily remote. 
I started off with remote team building because I feel like there's the biggest need of creating like more human connection because we don't have these coffee kitchen encounters. But now I'm also heading over to like offside companies, especially now like in Europe or joining like remote company retreats for their like offsite meetups. So they have team retreats in different parts of the world. So I just joined as like a team building facilitator, but it doesn't have to be a remote company. And as you have observed all these companies that you've worked with and did some team building, have you learned over time certain types of team building that are more effective at actually building team cohesion than others? I would say uh, surely like it depends on the workshop, but I've also observed like patterns in terms of cultures, like where is the, you know, the company based in, like how aligned is the company culture actually with their mission and vision and value statement. So I've observed like differences in that. You can always tell that like, especially when it comes to the bucket list workshops, I would say that North Americans uh, are much more open to share. It's not generalizable, but I feel like it's more common to have like a coach or to have like a therapist. So people are used to like, you know, talk about that. So they're much more open to like share their goals and dreams and their struggles. And, you know, if they're facing any like mental issues to overcome that. So I really love working with Americans when it comes to that. And I think my Germans, like I'm I'm born and raised in Germany, they might be like a little bit more like reserved, but they're actually really good at executing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When it comes to bucket list, you know, we create an action plan, they go out and do it. Like you can rely on the Germans for like not beating around the bush. They say they're going to do it and they're actually doing it. So that comes in handy for the team building when it comes to, you know, accountability buddies within the team. Overall, it's more like subjective based on what the team needs the most at the moment. You know, when they lack meaningful connections or it's kind of like their onboarding phase, they don't know each other very well. Before and after survey of like connection level just skyrockets for the the connection workshop uh, when it's like a newly formed team. And yeah, when they feel like they've recently been going through like a, a tough, stressful phase and I come with the, the bucket list or the fun workshop, then they feel like that's exactly what they needed the most at this moment. So yeah, I think it's not as generalizable. It just depends on what the company culture, what the team needs the most at the moment. And have you ever entered a work where the environment is like so stuffy, you just look and you're like, oh, this is going to be an exceptional challenge for me, or this is going to be something really tough to get these people to actually start feeling better about their work lives. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to drop company names here. (laughs) Well, yeah, of course, of course Uh, not. But recently I worked with a law firm. I think like corporate lawyers um, are definitely I would say less outgoing when it comes to uh, focusing on enjoying life and like make the most out of it just simply because I think there's not too much time for them (laughs) to actually (laughs) go out and live life and tell them about all the salsa classes they could potentially take. I don't know, trying out new restaurants during, you know, waking hours. I don't know if it was that, but I felt like they were probably compared to other companies less expressive and creative and yeah. maybe they need it the most. <laughs> well, yeah, no, like different companies are in different places right now. And some yeah. companies are trying to go back to the old work culture that, you yeah. know, before the pandemic and others are like, 
more in line of saying like, look at this disengagement, let's get everyone engaged and get everyone happy. And that could be better. And I also, on a, on a side note, want to say that my bucket list um, is not all about, you know, like quit your job, hike Machu Picchu, do skydive. It's really more about what is a life worth living for you based on like, you know, 12 different areas of our life. We identify like different factors and different goals and dreams for each category. So it's not just like an adventure or like 40 challenges or something like big, big. It can also just be like, you know, go to the restaurant you've always wanted to go to or, you know, do like kind acts for others, make a compliment to a stranger. Like it's more like eye-opening about the philosophy of like, you know, kind of change the way you think, step out of your routine and get fascinated about life again. So it doesn't have to be the stereotypical bucket list that everyone thinks of every time they think of bucket lists, like, oh, there's the book with uh, 100 places you need to see before you die. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's so subjective. And that's the beauty of having this as a team building workshop because so we go to like a 12-step acronym, my bucket list, and every letter represents one category. And it's all based like on the wheel of life every letter comes with like 50 suggestions so they can pick individually what's personally meaningful to them. So let's say one T is take lessons and it can be anything from, you know, learning how to DJ, beekeeping, salsa, Spanish, the guitar, whatever. It's super, super subjective. So yeah, it really depends on like what is personally meaningful to you and not just a one fits all solution based on a hundred things you should have done. And maybe that's absolutely not what you enjoy, but it sounds good on a venture list. Yeah. And that's another thing because it's like more outward. When I think of the stereotypical bucket list, I actually think of Instagram because that's, yeah, yeah. I think sometimes some people's motivation, like what's going to look the best on Instagram and going onto Coursera and learning a new yeah. skill doesn't necessarily make a great social media post, maybe on LinkedIn when you get the certification. Oh, I'm funny to say that because that's like one of the two conditions that I mentioned in the workshop and saying like, number one, write it as if you weren't allowed to tell a single person. In the end, it's good to tell others because then they can actually help you to facilitate it and, you know, connect you to people who might have, I don't know, a bull riding farm. Overall, I get tell them, write it as if we weren't allowed to like post it on social media for the sake of been there, done that. Do it because it just puts a smile on your face. Like if you look back at the timeline of your life, what would pop up in front of your inner eye and would just give you this little like, you know, it's like the, I can't believe I did that. And just this inner smile moment and not this like external validation moment. Yeah. So like what you want to do for your own internal validations, like, like if you don't tell anyone, what are you enjoying just for the sake of doing it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then do you keep that bucket list mentality in your own life? And how you live Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I'm like now a certified bucket lister for, I mean, I started my year five years ago and then like joined the company four years ago. Um, and I still got my bucket list, just rewrote it on like actually last Saturday. I still work with the blueprint for myself. 
And it kind of like shifted a bit in terms of, you know, I don't walk around like a wild untamed puppy and be like bucket list, bucket list, bucket list. But yeah. I do have like sub bucket list for like different areas in my life. And like now I have my Bali bucket list, but I also have, you know, it's like my summer in Europe bucket list or my future husband bucket list, or you know, it's like yeah. different lists for like different occasions yeah like it really became a lifestyle now and turned more into like a no-brainer to be like I want to do it I'm gonna do it you know and like luckily like you know it stems from a very intrinsic motivation so now kind of happens naturally that I just activate my friends and inspire them and we go on like we call them like bucket list days a bucket list weekend getaways and we just write a list of all the things we want to do and then we tick it off <laughs> and it can be anything. Go to this restaurant to get the fluffiest pancakes in town, then jump off the waterfall. Or recently I had like a yes day with my best friend. So we had to say yes to everything for a whole day. <laughs> oh, nice. Depends on what you say yes to, but it doesn't cost a thing. You know, it's more about change your mindset for a day and like do something you normally never do. And like it doesn't cost a thing, but it's priceless of what you get out of it. And this mentality of I'm just going to do it. And it seems yeah. like do it as opposed to overthink it or question myself. Yeah. I'm assuming that this mentality was an important aspect of your journey and your ability to build a successful business through the Work Happiness yeah. Project and everything yeah. else that you're doing. I mean, believe me, it was like a just do it roller coaster that I signed up for. <laughs> yeah. Now, just do it smooth run to the top it always is a journey you kind of think you yeah. come you start a business with the with the mindset of like this is a fantastic idea everyone's gonna love it and i'll be rich in three months and then you face reality and you come across challenges and you know you figure out as you go but i always say when you have like an intrinsic motivation and like a powerful why of like you know why you're doing it what motivates you Luckily, that that turns into like an infinite source of energy that you just, you know, don't want to give up because you feel like your message is too meaningful to share with the world to uh, just let it die and start like a mediocre corporate job that pays the bills, but that doesn't spark you from inside. So it's that spark. It's that knowing your connection to your mission that keeps you going even when some of the tougher things happen in which we all have it, maybe a client's being tough, or maybe you have some sort of technological glitch or something just goes wrong. And I also want to give my audience a chance to find out how to get a hold of you if anyone yeah. needs your services with, within their company, because you know the, the entrepreneurial lifestyle maybe not be for everyone. Maybe some people want that steady corporate job, but just want to yeah. Yeah. have it be a little bit more fun. Yeah. And like a hundred percent. And I love working with awesome remote uh, or like any company, but like mostly I work with remote companies. And there are so many companies that are like, if I wasn't doing my own thing already, I'd love to work for a company like that. And just to mention like yeah. Do It, Oyster, HubSpot, a bunch of GitLab or like a bunch of other companies that I'm like, I'm a freaking groupie for their company culture. And they have like so many cool 
activities and employee benefits that actually gets you excited about working for a company and like a company that wants to see you win in life. So if that wasn't my mission to spread with like as many companies as I can, a hundred percent, there's nothing yeah. wrong about working for corporate, but like make sure they just have like a positive, healthy work environment that, yeah, yeah. they want you to win and activate your best self. And um, what would be the way to get a hold of you if someone's interested in your company? Yeah, sorry, that was the question. Yeah. <laughs> we sidetracked. Well, ironically, connect with me online. All <laughs> the digital yeah. detox talk and then like follow me on Instagram. But yeah, ideally reach out on LinkedIn, Nini Fritz, or check my my homepage, theworkhappinessproject.com. And if anyone's interested in getting the iConnect um, icebreaker game, to create more meaningful connections also like on a personal level. So that is for any individual as well. Check um, iConnectGame.com and get your box of meaningful connections. And yeah, this is the way to get in touch and connect stronger than Wi-Fi. All right. And one final question. So you mentioned about 70% of people being disengaged at work. Let's say we're having this 69%. Yeah. Let's say we're having the same exact conversation on December 31st, 2029, at the end of this decade. Do you think that number is significantly better with everything going on now? Or do you think we'll find a new way to screw it up and be just as unhappy? I am optimistic. (laughs) I'm optimistic that there is a significant transformation happening at the moment. I think it might also due to the fact that, you know, the millennials and Gen Z is now starting to work and they have like different needs than, you know, the baby boomer generation. Like instead of just caring about, you know, safety and uh, like um, climbing up the corporate ladder, they come with different values. They want to, you know, express themselves. They want to make an impact. They kind of, you know, believe more in like sustainability, thinking of like a future planet and yeah, like the values have shifted. And if you want to retain like top talent in your company, like you have to offer them like benefits, you have to order them like a, you know, like an uplifting culture where they can like express themselves. So I think companies realize that if they kind of want to keep up with like top companies, they have to invest in, yeah, their company culture. And that starts with like creating happy employees to also create more of like loyalty to the company. So I'm optimistic that by the end of the decade, um, there's much more uh, focus on mental well-being at work. And yeah, I think we're getting more transparent when it comes to, you know, meditate before a meeting or like have like a mental health first aid at a company. Um, so it's not a taboo topic anymore to express that every now and then you might feel overwhelmed. And I think this is a, a very beautiful first step into the right direction of lowering the number of disengaged workers and create like a happier and more fulfilled work environment. Well, I hope that comes to pass as well. I hope that we can find a way because 70% of the population just waiting on the weekend or waiting on retirement yeah. does not seem like a, a good way to go about things. And it seems like a lot does get yeah. lost when yeah. someone's not happy. They're not really going to be at their best. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, Nini, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes, uh, telling us your story about living this bucket list lifestyle and not just the stereotypical bucket list lifestyle, but it's the way that you can actually go for something as opposed to the, the way a lot of us kind of hold ourselves back and hesitate. Yeah. Thank and you. It's beautiful being a guest on your podcast. I'm glad we connected. <laughs> For sure. And I'd like to also thank everyone out there listening to Actions Antidotes. Hopefully you were inspired by some of these conversations and you continue to come back and be inspired on Actions Antidotes. Thank you to all our listeners. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much.